5, we'll be concluding uh, the lesson, uh, this one, lesson session 10, uh, this evening, Lord willing. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, being a God-loving example. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 5, we'll read the verse and then we'll uh, go to the Lord in prayer. We will use our handout tonight, uh, God's love versus self-love, and I'll look at that uh, at the end of this lesson, and then we'll go through that, uh, each of those uh, rows and columns there items that are on that. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before thy precious throne. And Lord, to have an opportunity to once again open your precious word and Lord, to hear the timeless truths. And Lord, I get to hear what you want me to hear as you reveal it to us through your word. God, tonight I do pray that this would be something that would encourage us, Lord, also to challenge us to be a good example. Lord, to get our hearts fixed upon thee. And Lord, I pray that all that goes on in the preaching that follows, Lord, would hail from thy throne. And so, Lord, I commit this evening to you. I love you, and I thank you for your grace that I do not deserve. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Just a little bit of uh, review. I'll go through a few of the slides here. She's warm tonight. (laughs) Uh, All right. How to make a difference. You have to be different to make a difference. And as I had mentioned, we cannot be like the world to reach the world. If I want to take a, the illustration that was given, if I want to take some unsweet tea and I want to alter the flavor, I've got to be a different substance. If I want to sweeten it with honey or sugar or some other sweetener, uh, then that has to be different. I can't just add more unsweet tea hoping that I will change it. So as a Christian, there is a necessity that I'm different, and I'm not talking about different uh, in such a way that you might, you know, like the Amish or someone like that. But there needs to be a holiness and a, and a godliness where I'm set apart unto the Lord. You cannot change anything by adding more of the same. Again, you can't add more unsweet tea to unsweet tea to alter the flavor. Uh, you know, you might have some unsweet tea that you're adding that might be a little bit more watery, but nevertheless, you're still going to have unsweet tea and you're not going to change the flavor. Uh, you know, and so our exa- and then another thing that we looked at is that our anxieties really do reveal our priorities. What is it that makes me angry? Uh, what is it that makes me mad or frustrated or worried? Um, that reveals where I have a priority in my life. If something uh, is, you know, that button is pushed in my life, in this particular area of my life is pushed, and, and I continue to exhibit uh, these very strong reactions, and uh, particularly these reactions may not be biblical, then I need to ask myself, uh, what is the priority in my life? Our preoccupation also reveals our priorities. What is it that I give my time to? And uh, our anger reveals our priorities, as I said. Uh, You know, your anxiety or your anger. If you get really angry because someone does something to you, and then you may ask yourself, why am I angry? Am I angry because uh, they've hurt my pride? Am I angry because uh, this is, you know, (laughs) damaging the holiness of God? Why am I angry? And that is something to really ask ourselves when these strong emotions come upon us, uh, to really evaluate where am I in regards to being a godly example. Uh, because our world is looking for someone that's different in order to, you know, they're, they're looking for hope and life. 
And if I have the wrong priorities, uh, then obviously I'm not going to be the example that I ought to be. Uh, loving God with all your heart. No one is ever apathetic. And, and that is so true. Every man is passionate about something. You know what? We are passionate about something in our life. You may not be, you know, sometimes, and I've probably preached it myself, I say, you know, uh, I've been apathetic or Christians have been apathetic about the things of God. No, they're not apathetic about the things of God. They are just more, they're passionate about something else. There's a different uh, uh, idol or there's a different priority in their life uh, wherein they're giving their passions to it. And, and in effect, uh, it is idolatry because I'm not giving myself to the Lord with all of my heart as Deuteronomy uh, as well as the gospel writers uh, give to us here. And uh, a God-exhilarated lover is extravagant and I'm going to want to do great things for God. I ought to have, if I love God, I'm going to want him to use my life. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that an individual has to go to the furthest reaches of the world, to the darkest uh, jungles, to be extravagant. I can be extravagant, you know, here, uh, and even as a young child, I remember uh, one of my Sunday school teachers that I had, uh, they still had, they had a tremendous impact upon us. And um, they're still in communication with us, and, and, and uh, they help the ministry up here. But um, they, they, what they did is they just invested their time in the Lord. And, and I'd go over and spend time, you know, doing some work at his house and helping him out. And I just, but we'd talk about the things of the Lord and talk about some other things. But he just invested my life. And he really wanted to, you know, and, and continue to pray for me for years, even after we had lost touch, after they had moved away. And uh, the Lord had reunited us back in 2005, this, this couple named the Barretts. They never had kids, and they just really poured their hearts and the children uh, that they were allowed to Sunday school, and, and they continue to do so. We talked about s several um, extravagant uh, people, and uh, I want to talk. So first of all, we had a Mary's extravagant gift. Remember, uh, she broke the incense, the oil over fe uh, the feet of Jesus and anointed him, and, and uh, the other disciples got really angry about it. And uh, then there was Mary's extravagant attention. You have Mary and Martha. That Mary sat at the feet of Jesus while Martha was working. Mary wanted to hear from Christ. You had David that sang and danced when the ark was returned, but Michael, his wife, was quite upset. You also would see Paul's extravagant service. Paul knew he was going to Jerusalem and knew uh, most likely that he would be arrested and it could very well be the, his cost him his life. And yet he went anyways, knowing that I'm doing what God wants me to do. As we understand all of this, no one's extravagance of any type, no one's uh, activities will ever uh, exceed that of the extravagance of our God. And uh, he has an extravagant love, and uh, he does great things in our lives. He wants to do more in your life and in mine. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when our hearts are tender and compassionate and sensitive to the Lord, uh, I can have the joy, but when I'm not appreciating the extravagance of God, I can very easily get depressed and discouraged. And so a penetrating question is, who would want to be like us? If someone was looking at your life, and maybe they're evaluating Christianity, and they're thinking about, what is Christianity about? Why would they, looking at your life, your speech, your activity, your actions, your demeanor, your countenance, so on and so forth, why would they want what you have? You know, and, and the fact is, if we are not known to be God-loving believers by our obvious extravagance for the lover of our soul, why would those who follow us bother with Christ either? 
And that is a, a penetrating question. Because as we look here, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our might, here in Deuteronomy 6.5, as it's telling us. And so that is a question to, to ask ourselves, why would someone, as an ambassador for Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, as an ambassador for Christ, what is it about my life that, it, that exudes the holiness of God, wherein someone say, you know what, I want the hope that you have. I want the joy that you have. And as I think about that, what is it? You see, to know him is to love him. Are you thirsty for God? I, I kind of found it interesting. This ties in with my Sunday night message that I've been working on. And, uh, but are you thirsty for God? Uh, do I really want him? As I had mentioned Sunday and even Sunday night, I said, when was the last time that you just spent to get alone with God? To just be refreshed, to just be encouraged and nourished by Him. That's all I'm saying. You're going there in your openness, your transparency, you're holding nothing back and just you and God and you're just talking with Him. And maybe you're talking about your frustrations, your worries, your struggles, and you're just open to Him. And maybe you have the Psalms open and you're reading the Psalms, you're singing, you're, whatever you're doing, but you just want to be in the presence of God. Are you thirsty for that? Have you been tasting God? Uh, this is incredible because we'll be in second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 on Sunday night, Lord willing. And, um, but have you been tasting God? It talks about there in 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 3 about tasting that the Lord is good, He's great. Have I tasted him and his goodness? Did you know the joy of abiding in Christ? What is it if I live my life to abide in Christ? John chapter 15 tells us about abiding in the vine. So do I know what it is to abide in Christ? Not, I'm not saying abiding uh, by a, a mere ritualistic type action, but I'm saying that you know that his spirit is communicating with your spirit to refresh you and, and to lift you up and to encourage you. Uh, I know for myself, and God's really been working on me lately about this very truth, uh, about abiding in Christ. I, I, you know, I can get discouraged and, and, I can, and I can begin to, in the sermons, I, I can just make it a part of the process of, of what I'm supposed to do. But God has been working on me through this that, you know what, I, I just need to hunger and thirst and abide in Christ. And uh, really, what is that? So as we had looked in this uh, conclusion of this, uh, this text here, there's still two more slides after this. But those who have great impact for God are those who have great passion for Him, fueled by a meditation upon His world. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll give you a little bit of preview uh, what I'll be talking about on Sunday night. I've been, uh, we're coming back to 1 Peter in our uh, studies here as we've been going verse by verse through that, uh, this book. But 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, uh, particularly verse uh, 2, and uh, you'll get a little preview here. I'm I was uh, pretty encouraged, and, and uh, uh, as I was studying this passage today, it really uh, greatly challenged and encouraged my heart. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now, that word desire there is in fact a command. It's an imperative. And uh, if you look into the grammar of it, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord as, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 
So the fact is, my passion will be a direct reciprocal of my meditation upon God's Word. If God's Word is penetrating my heart and it's feeding me and it's sustaining me, then that will be evidenced by my great passion, extravagance for God. But if my time in God's Word, and I'm not talking just reading God's Word, I'm saying you're meditating it because you want to get to know God better. And as you meditate upon it, you're going to grow. It's guaranteed. It's a guaranteed formula. You will grow. And, and we are all masters at meditation in our life. We're skilled at beginning to think about uh, politics. There's a lot going on right now in politics. Uh, uh, we're skilled at that. I, <laughs> I have an affinity. I tend to lean more towards looking at politics. But I, I can lean so much on politics that I'm failing to just meditate on God's Word, and I begin to become distracted. I begin to lose the passion and the joy of the Lord in my life. And as I do that, obviously, I, it, it is impacting others. You know, even as Eve there in the garden, her passions were inflamed because she meditated upon the fruit more than the creator of the fruit. And she began to mull over it. And meditation is not an option. We all meditate on stuff. We all think about something in our life. Uh, we might think about, you know, a, a job change. We might think about I don't know, taxes and rising fuel prices, or I don't know, and many other things that can come to our mind, but I'm going to meditate and I'm going to think upon them. And it can overwhelm me and it can consume my thoughts. But the fact is that all of us, so again, all of us are masters at meditation, but the, what, is, what ought to be happening is the next generation needs to be tempted with God. What do you mean by that? What I'm saying is, is that my daughter and the young people that are around us, they need to see such a passion, they need to see uh, such a, uh, a love for God in our lives, and, and I'm speaking to myself, preaching to myself on this, that I, they, I'm tempting them, the fact that God is so good, why would they want anything else? The, the passion for the Lord, and so as you think about that, tempting the next generation with God. The fact is, we can pray over things and begin to see God's hand at work in our lives. Now, let's look at this God's love versus self-love study sheet. I, I do have one uh, here. and uh, So on this, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is where this uh, thing derives from. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. First Corinthians chapter 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, verse 1, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profited me nothing. Verse 4, charity or love suffereth Long. Now let's look at this sheet here. And God's love here uh, on the left column, and then the right column is self-love. On the left column it says, uh, suffereth long is sacrificing of self to wait for God's way and timing. It is patient, as we read in this poem, uh, about wait. Waiting on God. It has the divine power to wait, is long-fused, doesn't retaliate, even when it has the power, gives to others not what they deserve but what God gave. 
So an individual who's demonstrating God's love will demonstrate a patience or a long-suffering towards others. Now, what does it look like to have self-love? Let's look at this. Number one here, it desire, one who is in self-love but doesn't suffer long desires its own way and its own timing. It suffers if it can't have its way now. Is impatient. Resents any departure from their own schedule. Won't wait for God to work. Snaps at people. I want it this way and I want it now. I will teach him a lesson he won't soon forget. As you see there, but there is an individual that obviously is very focused on self. Let's look at the next one. Charity suffereth long and is kind. So charity is kind. It sacrifices self to meet others' needs, has passion to be active and useful in the lives of others, is kind in words and deeds, does the unexpected, undeserved, and unrewarded. So there's not a need to necessarily be seen. It is nasty, though, for self-love and hurtful in words and deeds. It acts in favor of me instead of others. It always puts conditions on others' love. I'll love you if, right? Why should I do that for them? They didn't do it for me. Others, it's all I can do to keep up with my wants and needs. There's no way I can help them. Again, someone who is focused on themselves. Let's look at the next one, envieth not. And uh, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. The word envieth not there is to cheer for or weep with others, sacrificing self to do such. Uh, does not boil, seethe, stew, is content with God's control, and doesn't compare for the purpose of looking down on or up to someone else. But in self-love, it envy, it's envious, it boils, it sees, it laughs when others weep, it weeps when others laugh, it resents and wants what others have, wants to be what others are, is displeased by prosperity of others, judges others' worthiness by comparing it with his own. It's not fair, I should have that. Number four, vaunteth not itself. Sacrificing self to remain small, doesn't parade to gain applause, is not proud, points to God, not self, doesn't brag or boast, doesn't inflate self. So in number four of a self-love, though, it's proud, it's a windbag, praises self, will become anything so others will notice, brag, or attempt uh, to impress others. Tries to appear to be what he is not, never admits he is wrong, is mad when others are too selfish to notice, points to what he's accomplished. Hey, look at me. And again, vaunteth not itself, one who, one who doesn't want the praise and one who does. Doth not behave itself unseemly, sacrificing self by being a lady or gentleman, doesn't present the love of God in an ugly, misshapen way, is proper and courteous, does the right thing at the right time. But self-love is rude, it's crude, it's boorish, draws attention to self by being loud, silly, moody, harsh, or having poor manners. Inappropriate actions, words, or timing, giving too much attention to fashion or fads uh, or appearance, flashy or, or dowdy. I can't help it. That's just the way I am. I do what I want when I want to do it. Who are you to tell me, if you would say? Another one, is you, again, as we go through all of these, the self-love and God's love, if, if, I'm, if I'm finding myself, and, and looking at this, there was a, you know, kind of a recommendation the author had given, uh, you know, maybe going back and forth between your spouse and letting your spouse look at this and, and, and you know, maybe making some notes on you and, and then you make some notes on them and you go back and forth. And uh, that's some of the things to look at on this and really kind of give an evaluation of our life and where we're at. 
uh, who am I? You know, oftentimes we can have an evaluation of our lives, but how others view us isn't always uh, what, the way we view ourselves. And, and we may not, I mean, it can be an oversight. It's easy uh, to overlook some of the errors or the faults that we see in our life that we just plain flat out don't notice. Number six, seeketh not her own. Sacrificing self by not demanding rights is not selfish, is a servant. Gives is not grasping for my rights, my time, my money, my comfort, my thing. But someone who is selfish or in self-love is selfish. They reject God's way for their own way. Seeks to please self. I demand my rights. I'm right in this situation. I want my way. What I want is more important than what you want. It's my fill in the blank there, and I'll do what I want with it. Again, you know, as you you begin to look at this, the self-love or God's love, I am called to, you know, obviously be that example, and we want to uh, draw the next generation to where they would want to know Christ. Number seven is not easily provoked. Sacrificing self to be calm is not angry for its own causes, is not oversensitive and touchy. You know, someone, when we can be easily provoked, easily uh, someone might say something, and then it evokes a, a very quick reaction in us. Uh, you know, in this self-love here, it says explodes as an earthquake in the spirit, reacts in anger instead of acting in kindness, retaliates, uh, is given to sudden outbursts, is angry for selfish reasons. You can't do that to me and get away with it. You know, and obviously in this self-love here, there's things where, wherein, you know, it's not easily provoked, I'm going, to, I'm going to retaliate. I won't let this go. I won't let go of this issue. Uh, I'm going to hold on to it. But, but as we do that, obviously, uh, we're not demonstrating the very love of God. Let's look at number eight. <clears throat> Thinketh no evil. Verse five. Chair doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. So sacrificing self by not keeping score is not jealous, does not take permanent account of something for the purpose of bringing it back up, believes the best about a person, gives the benefit of the doubt, and forgives. Thinketh no evil, you know, in the self-love, though, someone that, as it said here, uh, does not bring it back up, but someone who has a self-love is going to hold on uh, to these injustices as we may uh, judge them in our own mind, uses indelible ink, builds a case for evil, enters wrong into a ledger so that can't be forgotten. So I write it down in my mind, you've done this wrong to me, I'll never let it go, I'll never forgive you. Jealous, thinks evil, won't forgive. I remember when he, I haven't forgotten what you did to me. I know what kind of person he is. I know what he meant when he said or did that. You know, and it, it does, again, it's, ex, it's exposing us in our hearts uh, of this self-love that I will not let go. I will not forgive. I will not uh, move on because I, I feel that there's been an injustice. God's love, though, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Verse 6, it sacrifices self to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Is excited to do the biblical thing, doesn't take iniquity by the hand and escort it into some other area of life. If God likes it, I'll like it. If God hates it, I'll hate it. But someone in the opposite of self-love, though rejoices in iniquity, entertains sin, escorts sin right into his life. Gets a thrill out of sin. 
his own or someone else's. It's my life. I'll do what I want to. I'm strong enough to handle it. Who are you to tell me what to do? It's my body. I deserve a little pleasure. Did you hear about what so-and-so did? Again, I'm the leader of my life in the self-love category, in the self-love column here. Verse uh, 10, beareth all things, sacrificing self uh, to cover others' weaknesses. Covers, supports, protects, covers anything it can righteously cover. Bears, not bears, (laughs) B-A-R-E-S. That that bearing there, obviously, is exposing all out. But verse 10, it uncovers and exposes someone's sins to others unnecessarily. Bears doesn't bear sin. I don't mean to gossip, but. Did you hear about what? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) She did a terrible thing. Don't tell anyone, but it's a fact that so and such and such happened. Well, my wife or husband has his or her faults, too. As we look at these truths, number 11, believeth all things. So God's love, charity, believeth all things. It sacrifices self to believe the best about God and others. Puts the best interpretation on events, believes in the best outcome, doesn't look to condemn, looks to save, not to judge. But in self-love, I want to judge. I want to condemn others. I want to play up the doubts, believe the worst, is cynical and suspicious. I told you he was no good. I know what he's thinking. I know why he did that. So what did you want from me this time? He said he would change once before, but, right? And we've heard that, and we make a judgment on that. And begin, again, so all of these, I'm the judge here in this self-love. I'm the judge. Where in God's love, I'm allowing God to be the authority. And number 12, it hopeth all things, beareth all things, believeth all things. Hopeth all things, verse 7. Sacrificing self by not giving up anticipates a good outcome when God's truth wins out. Hopes in every situation, against all evidence, confronts people with the truth and the hope that they will obey and change. Knows that failure is never final as long as God's grace operates. And this is an individual that says, you know what, we all mess up, we all fail, we all have our errors. And, uh, you know, someone's getting up and they're wanting to move forward. You know what, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to trust God that they're going to move forward and, and they'll do right. But in self-love, I, I may fail and I act hopeless. I talk hopeless. I feel hopeless. I give up. I quit praying. I don't trust God or follow his way. He's hopeless. Why try? He'll never change. That's just the way I am. I never change. I'll never change. You know what? That's all a hopelessness because now I've condemned myself that I won't change, that I'm, I am who I am and my sinful condition is just who I am and so I've put the judgment out there. The verdict is that that's who I am. I'm excluding the Spirit of God. I, I remember I was talking with someone uh, one time and, uh, and they had made a statement. They said, I, I've tried reading the Bible and it just didn't work for me. It didn't help me. Well, if you're just reading the Bible to somehow get this magical genie poof and you're, you're changed uh, without ever wanting to adhere to it and obey it, you won't change. There must be an understanding here. Again, a sacrificing of self is I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Verse 13, endureth all things, sacrificing self by staying put when feeling like quitting. Bears all things at all costs. Digs a trench and stays put. Stays when it feels like running. Have you ever had a time you just want to quit? I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. 
You know what? It's easy. I've been there many a time. God, I'm not doing this anymore. I just can't do it. And you know what God has had to reveal to me? I've been in self-love. I'm looking at the situation from my own vantage point. I've tried, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, they've done it this time. I'm out of here. I'm done with them. I'm not sticking my neck out there again so he can chop it off. I've been hurt before. Never again. I'll cut and run while I still have my dignity. I can't handle it anymore. You won't be able to handle it either if you were in my shoes. But in all of these situations, as, as difficult it is, and, and as I look at these scenarios, these little statements that the author makes, I uh, said, so, you know, we could justify our actions. But the truth remains that, again, I'm the judge here, and, and, and I'm excluding God from the situation. I'm not proving that I love him. Because had it been the quitting here, the Lord Jesus Christ would have never gone to the cross. The apostles, after his resurrection, would have never gone to their death. They would have quit because it was just plain flat out too hard. The world wouldn't have been turned upside down if it was easy. It was hard. But it regarded a love of God where I endured all things. And number eight, charity never Fairless. Charity or love always accomplishes God's work on earth and in heaven is supernatural in its origin and its results. You see, self-love always fails and that is where we're at in this day and age. A, a tremendous, I was just talking with a fellow today and, and I was telling him, I said, you know, I've talked with some of the, the local leaders and, and in society in general and I think around the world, uh, what COVID really did was it, uh, it magnified and I think also expedited the love of self. It, it really revealed, you know, where people today, uh, and I told them, I said, you know, sometimes it seems like individuals think, you know what, I can stay at home in my pajamas and, and I'll watch a service and, and I'll do church that way. Uh, not understanding that that's not God's uh, ordained way for church. But there's a self-love. I'll do it my way. What does God think? He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. We saw that last month in our uh, verse of the month, Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So in all of these situations and all of this, and, and you can keep that if you'd like, and... Um, Use it and, and maybe go back and forth with you know, a, a sheet and an underline maybe uh, areas in your life that you think you might need to work on and ask the Lord for that. And uh, you know, maybe rate <laughs> your examples on this. And you know, The Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. One of the things that is helpful for us is really getting a perspective on our life. And uh, it's a humbling thing. Uh, somewhat challenging, but to, to kind of get a reality check. And uh, it's a difficult thing at times because it hurts. It, it really does hurt our ego. But it's something that God wants to use in our life, and, and uh, God's been doing that in my heart here lately and recently and working through some things. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. So again, the Apostle Paul is exhorting Timothy, you might be young, but you can still be an example. 
you can still be someone that others can follow. And, you know, this whole rating your example here and the examples that you find on this is to look at where I'm at in my walk with the Lord. You know, here's some questions, uh, some additional questions to ask yourself. What extravagant gifts have I recently or ever offered to God? When was the last time I gave God any extravagant attention? You know, and as I said on Sunday night, you got alone to just be with God. You just want to be with Him. Him and no one else. When was the last time I would give God praise? Publicly or privately? Am I known by those, someone who follows me as one who gives God extravagant service? What do I want to do for God in an extravagant way just because I love Him? And what extravagance of God regularly occupies my thoughts? And a last thing here, the power of example. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, we can look at this. This is the last slide. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And he ordained twelve, Mark 3.14, he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Through the exposure of Jesus, the disciples would learn of Jesus' love for the lost. He would, they would learn the lesson of servanthood, and you know, even as Jesus would wash their feet. They would learn to desire personal godliness and holiness in their lives. To have a life that was different than the culture. You know, it's easy in the power of example. Jesus set the example. He was the high priest that went before us. He lived as a human. He, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So he set the example. You know, it's a whole lot easier to have someone show you to do something uh, than it is to, you know, maybe watch a YouTube video. I, I could watch a YouTube video on how to bleed the brake lines, but when I was a young child, when I was a teen, I guess I should say, I remember my dad teaching me and doing some things in regards to bleeding the brake lines, how to change the brakes and how to compress the caliper and, you know, the piston on the caliper and take that off and put new brake pads and, and put a new rotor on. My dad taught me that. But if I was watching a YouTube or reading a book, it's a lot harder for me. But when I get to watch it, it's a whole lot easier. And so Jesus set the example. He went before and said, listen, follow me. I'll teach you. And as you think about these various things, uh, Jesus would give lectures and discourses to his disciples, but he always exemplified his teaching. When he wanted to teach them about servanthood, he washed their feet. When he wanted to teach them about respect and God-ordained authority, what did he do? He paid his taxes. He wants us to mature in a relationship with him. So to be an example, though, you know what being an example is? Before I became a pastor, I, you know, I thought, and I've heard, you know, pastors kind of live in a glass house. Uh, there's things that you're like, oh, the pastor does this, oh, the pastor does this, and, and they're watching. But you know what? To be a leader, to be an example to others means you have to be willing to be vulnerable. Sure, you'll receive critiques, you'll receive disappointments, you'll receive hurts, misunderstandings. But look with me at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. God's admonition to all of us. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. (laughs) 
many a time have I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, at times I said, Lord, it'd sure be a lot easier being an engineer. <laughs> it'd be a lot easier, you know, I just sat at my desk, didn't have to, you know, and, and uh, God just has to remind me, my wife said, you would be miserable, and, and I know she's right on this, but, you know, I, I thought, you know, at times where I'm discouraged and I'm thinking, man, I, God, I just want to, you know, and, and God just, and my wife just said, you would be miserable. And God confirms it over and over again. Let's look at verse 12 of Matthew, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. So for the time is, you know, take, kind of taking into uh, consideration how long you've been saved. Uh, but when for, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Paul's saying, listen, uh, you've made yourself vulnerable, you've learned to rejoice, and, um, but for some, you need to be a teacher. You know, as a Christian, as I mature, I ought to be affecting those who are less mature. Not necessarily in age, but I, I'm affecting those who are spiritually uh, less mature, and, and I'm leading the way, and all of us are to be leading others and, and moving forward and, and rejoicing in the Lord. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, look at the Apostle Paul's admonition and also his example uh, to the other believers, how he was an example, how to be a godly example. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 10, obviously, uh, in this passage of Scripture, he's uh, dealing with some real physical problems. I mean, he's in pain, uh, he's uneasy, he's unsettled, his body is racked with pain. And uh, yet, you know, the Lord would say, my grace is sufficient for thee, verse 9. But verse 10, the Apostle Paul gives us the joy of his heart through adversity, verse 10. He says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Apostle Paul is saying, listen, you know what, when I'm at the bottom and I'm weak and and I'm really discouraged. You know what it does? Is it brings me to a realization of my strength is Christ. You know, in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, who strength, which strengtheneth me. There's a growth of understanding the strength that God gives. And that's where meditation is. And when you think about this, the you know, <laughs> this next one, the badge speaks. A dad who wears maybe a police badge, but when they're off duty, they're breaking the law in some way, and it's teaching their child that, you know, when you enter the, the realm of law enforcement, maybe it skews the child's view of law enforcement. Well, because I'm the law, I'm above the law. Well, no. Sometimes you may wonder, you know, the children of pastors or children of, of uh, ch you know, Christian workers may go bad. And sometimes we can overlook some of these things as, you know, Christian leaders, but my example to my daughter is incredibly important. How I deal with her when she's, you know, maybe it might be frustrating to me, but how I express that frustration to her, do I, you know, lash out at her, do I jump on her, do I, how do I express when I'm agitated with her 
how to respond. I'm teaching her that though her actions might be agitating, then I need to respond correctly and say, you know, in a kind, polite way to, uh, to, to get her to maybe change course or maybe to let her know uh, without jumping all over her because I'm setting that example. I'm the one ultimately uh, responsible for how I teach, teach and train our daughter. Well, and my wife is as well, but both of us as we're working, but I'm saying in regards to my relationship with her, I'm an example. I'm also an example as a, as, a, as a husband, as a pastor, uh, as a citizen. We are responsible for the example that we are setting. The Apostle Paul is very cautious to not cast reflection on the gospel by his own life. Let's look with me at 2 Corinthians. If you're still there in 2 Corinthians, look with me at verse, chapter 6, verse 3. And I'll be done here shortly. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, and, and you know, it's easy in our minds, or at least in my mind, you know, when I was younger, I thought, well, he's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's like this, like, monumental giant of a Christian. And because he's the Apostle Paul, he has more ability than I have as, you know, a little peon here in the whole scheme of things. But Paul still has the same worries and fears. Now, obviously, culture is different, but he's still human as you and I are. It still has flesh. And what he says, and is so important for us as Christians, he says, giving no offense in anything. Why? That the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as a ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes and imprisonments, in tumults and labors, in watchings and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of the truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand, on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. And here in this passage of Scripture, he says, listen, in everything that was all just listed here, verses 4 through 11, 4 through 10, he says, listen, I, I don't want to hurt the ministry. You know what, that ought to be our desire as a Christian that I don't want to do anything that's going to bring a discredit to Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that I'm an ambassador of Christ. So when other people are looking at me, they know my faith in Jesus Christ. If I'm unethical or if I'm, you know, in a way that is inconsistent with Scripture, then what I'm doing is I'm casting a shadow of doubt upon the ministry. And that's a dangerous place to be because my example is affecting other people. And it, it, I've had situations in my life where I didn't think anyone was watching me. I didn't think, you know, I thought, ah, whatever, you know. And come to find out, certain situations had come about and I had become aware of others that were watching me. And, I, you know, and, and some of the statements they made and I realized, uh-oh, <laughs> I didn't behave in the best way I should have. And we do make mistakes, and we learn from those, and, and you press on saying, listen, here's an area that I need to work on. We're all, we're all in the sanctification process. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. 
But you know what? We ought to strive like the Apostle Paul to give no offense in anything. Why? That the ministry be not blamed. I don't want to bring any discredit to Jesus Christ because my actions in my life, when I know better, is dishonoring Christ. And as we do that, the badge speaks because as I proclaim that I'm a Christian right then and there, I have a badge that I'm representing someone much greater than myself. And I ought to be the example that God has called me to be. And so as we come to the time of invitation this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll do it quietly with no music this evening. But I really want to challenge you, as God has challenged me in my own heart, to really think about how am I representing Jesus Christ in my life? What, how does my life portray Him uh, to the others around me? By my speech, am I kind and caring, compassionate, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, or am I uh, quite contrary? And only you know that. When you're done praying, uh, feel free to look back up, and then I'll conclude.